Right now, Los Angeles is a city of champions. You had the Los Angeles Lakers win the NBA Finals just a few weeks ago. And then just this past week, you saw the Los Angeles Dodgers win the World Series over the Tampa Bay Rays in six games. I, of course, am your host, Chase Williams. Alongside me today is pretty much my co-host of almost every episode here on Cut to the Chase, Kyle Bauer. Kyle, how are you doing? I'm great. You know, as a uh, as a Laker fan, I still haven't come off the high of the Lakers winning the finals. Uh, I'm not a Dodgers fan, though. So uh, that was I'll call it a little bit bittersweet because, you know, as a Cardinal fan, we've had some good rivalries with the Dodgers. But I think the the best team in baseball won it this year. I, I completely agree. And as I said, the Dodgers beat the Rays in six games. And so really... This podcast, it's going to be a little bit different. As I've mentioned before, I'm not a huge baseball guy. So I'm going to let you kind of take the reins. I'll ask you game by game kind of what the storylines were, what you thought about it, and really what came from that game and made this series what it was. And we'll start off with game one, which looks, by the score of it, kind of like a blowout. The Dodgers won it 8-3. to three. Tell me really what came from game one and what you want to talk about from the beginning of the series. Yeah, so I'll be the first to admit, you know, baseball is my number one sport. I know we talked a lot about basketball um, earlier when that was kind of the exciting thing. Baseball this year kind of took a back seat. I wasn't too invested in the MLB season. And uh, even going into the World Series, like, I watched parts of game one. I didn't watch game two, and I didn't watch game three. But then I watched uh, all of game four most of game five and then all of game six uh, while kind of multitasking. But yeah, this year felt kind of weird and it got off to uh, a good start, I guess, though, in in the first game of the World Series, the Dodgers really showed up and they came to play. They imposed their will on the Rays. The Rays are really led by uh, two young starting pitchers that are um, already kind of building a case to be two of the best in the game in Blake Snell and, and Tyler Glass now. And, uh, what I saw in game one is, is Clayton Kershaw, who we'll talk about later being, you know, arguably one of the greatest pitchers of all time. He went six innings, only gave up uh, one run on two hits. He had a phenomenal game. And then the, the bullpen came in and, and finished the job. Uh, we got to see kind of the, uh, the usual suspects strike in game one, Mookie Betts, uh, homered, and so did Co- Cody Bellinger. And from, I think like the main story from game one is that the Dodgers just showed that they were the better team. And so I knew it was going to be an exciting series, but after game one, I did not know how long the series was going to go. I thought maybe the Dodgers had the strength to sweep or, you know, win in five. Uh, I'm lucky that we got to go six games and it was fun to watch all the way to the end. But yeah, game one was all Dodgers. It, it really was. I remember, again, I, I will admit, I think I watched an inning of the World Series this year. Literally just one inning. But I did keep up with the news, kind of how people were reacting. And after game one, it felt very much like, okay, this one, just like they expected with the Lakers, was going to be a quick series. Likely four, four games, maybe five. But in game two, the Rays showed some hope. They stole game two. Tell me about game two. And did the reaction kind of change in the media? Did people start to believe the Rays had a chance or, or was it still like, okay, the Rays just, the Rays got their game. 
Yeah, I don't think I did a very good job of, of highlighting these two teams as a whole. The Rays were were the second best team in baseball this year. So what we got was the the matchup of, of number one versus number two. Uh, it was the, the AL's best team and the NL's best team. And at the beginning of the year, my preseason pick was the Dodgers to beat the Yankees in the World Series. So I knew the Dodgers were going to be good. I did not know the Rays were going to be good. I thought they were still too young and inexperienced, and they proved me wrong. And game two was a great example of that. Uh, they had this guy, Brandon Lau, hit two home runs in the game. Uh, Blake Snell pitched pretty well. I mean, it wasn't a great game, but it was a it, it was an above-average game, and, and he, you know, kept his team from, from falling behind. The bullpen really kept the Dodgers in check. Uh, the bullpen had to throw – like four and a third innings, and they they really did kind of shut the Dodgers down in those late innings, and uh, the race stole game two and made it a uh, exciting series. Yeah, I think I remember hearing after this game. I think after game one, the reason a lot of people thought like this may be a quick series was because of the inexperience of the Rays, because they were both the one seeds on each side. And mm-hmm. I remember hearing like people being like, okay, so the Rays will compete. And that's, that's what they wanted. I mean, that's what everyone wants in the World Series. You want a good series. Nobody wants to see a 4-0 game. And so I guess like what I saw from the media and from my baseball friends was the fact that people felt like we could get, at the bare minimum, a series we got. But then we had Game 3 happen. And I don't know... I mean, again, did not watch this game. Did not the only game I even watched a little bit of was Game Four, but a score of six to two, it really looks like and sounds like the Dodgers dominated Game Three. Is that true? I think it wasn't necessarily the Dodgers dominating Game Three. It was Walker Bueller pitching an absolute gem. I think he he pitched a great game. They had timely hitting by by guys like Max Muncie and and Austin Barnes and uh, you know, the scoreline makes it seem a little bit more uh, one-sided. It was just that, you know, the Dodgers, they, they did the little things right. And they were backed by a really strong pitching performance from their starter. But I thought something that was really cool about this game is a a less uh, noteworthy, I guess, kind of storyline from it was the, the Rays outfielder, uh, Randy Arazarina who is a former Cardinal, I like to add. He had himself an awesome postseason. He was the ALCS MVP. He was playing out of his mind in the postseason. He's a rookie, rookie position player. They got him as part of a trade deal with – it was um, Rosarina and uh, Jose Martinez for for a minor league pitcher – um, who the Cardinals are really psyched about. And Rosarino was just kind of thrown in there as like, a, here's an extra player to go along with Jose. And all of a sudden after, and I would say, you know, going into the World Series, you could already argue that he was the better player in that trade for the race. But after this series, I mean, he went, he went yard in game three and, and he ended up having another home run later in the series. But like, he made his presence known and he showed he wasn't a one trick pony and he, he played well all through the playoffs. And I look forward to seeing how he does the rest of his career. I think, I think that's a great storyline. And that's a storyline that someone, someone like me just does not see because they don't pay enough attention to baseball at all. 
But I think the storyline in the game that everyone thinks of when they look back on this World Series is game four. The Rays pulled it out 8-7. I think as long as you're a sports fan, you at least know a little bit of what happened. But explain why this game was kind of the the game everyone's going to remember about this World Series. Oh, yeah. Game four was, in my opinion, the best game of the series. And because it brought back kind of memories of, uh, and you'll appreciate this, of when the the Cardinals played the Red Sox in the World Series, and there was just kind of like the back-and-forth series, and there was a really sloppy play at third base that, you know, somebody slid in and tripped over the baseman and scored a run, and it was like one of those kind of sloppy walk-offs. I was was Um, there in person for that. (laughs) I remember that very clearly. Yeah, Yeah, that was – and, like, this game very much felt like that. It was a sloppy walk-off. Um, Araz Arena hit another home run. Uh, here's my plug for Parkland College in Champaign, Illinois. Kevin Kiermeyer, uh, the pride of Parkland College, had a home run. He had been playing a, a pretty solid um, outfield, too. And, and unfortunately, you know, they, they end up on the losing end of that. It was partially because the, the, the Tampa Bay Rays bullpen was just bad in this game. Mm-hmm. And they they looked fatigued and I mean, it wasn't uh, it wasn't what we expect to see from a team on pitching. They looked overused and fatigued, and the Dodgers bullpen was kind of just as bad. And uh, this game ended up being one of those that you know, back and forth, definitely kind of the the game of the World Series this year. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think I will. There's definitely memes and gifs out there of the guy tripping down, running to home plate and I, it's so ironic because it came just one day after Daniel Jones did the same thing on a quarterback run <laughs> against the Eagles so it just it was perfectly timed and the game was it was close and honestly for me I think sloppy baseball games can be more fun to watch and that's what we had tonight I mean I understand a true hardcore baseball fan really loves the art of baseball but sometimes when it gets messy it can be fun to watch that's not what we had in game five game five I mean, the notes say it. Boring game, honestly. Why was it so boring? Uh, I don't know if, like, I wasn't in the mood for the game, but, like, when I sat down to watch it, I guess coming off the high of, like, game four being so exciting and back and forth, game five was so boring. And I remember sitting there, and I eventually just turned it off. I just couldn't do it. Um, Clayton Kershaw pitched well. Uh, It wasn't an overwhelming great game for him but it was a uh you know he's cementing his place as one of the greatest pitchers of all time uh and for the rays their ace or one of their aces i think they've got two of them uh glass now he kind of struggled which is not what we you know are used to seeing with him and i mean scoreline wise it was a close game but it was a really not interesting game mm-hmm I, I completely agree. That's kind of like, again, um, I go back to what did the media tell me? What did the fans tell me? And that's just kind of what I got from the people is it was a boring game. And at this point through the series, I kind of heard that I wouldn't say the Rays aces really were like awful or anything, but they weren't living up to the hype that they needed to. But I feel like that kind of changed in game six, but it was highlighted so well because of, the decision by the Rays manager. So let's talk about that. Talk about game six, what happened, why Rays fans were 
honestly pissed off about the pitching decisions that happened in game six and how the Dodgers put the series away and won it in six games. Yeah, game six was was really highlighted by the decision to pull Blake Snell after just 75 pitches. Um, the Rays management, they stuck true to to what they said they were going to do. You know, they didn't want to overuse young arms and like, you know, rely on their young pitching to, to be the difference in it. And one of the, and I don't, th- this is something that I don't think is highlighted enough in the media. The manager's decision to pull Blake Snell and his words were, let's get him out of there or let's get him out of there. So that the Dodgers hitters don't see him a third time. So he had faced them twice through the order and was getting ready to face them a third time. And here's one thing I know about baseball. Uh, here's my kind of personal plug on it. I, I play baseball. I'm in a men's league and, and uh, I'm a pitcher and it's not, you know, a high quality league. We have fun. It's, it's a bunch of guys in their thirties and forties. And uh, like there is truth to once, once a batter has seen you twice, typically the the matchup is in the hitter's favor the third time around they've got to see your stuff they've got to see how the ball is moving uh what spots you're hitting what spots you aren't hitting and so typically speaking as a starting pitcher gets uh later and later and later into his start he becomes less effective and i'm not saying that blake snell was was going to completely fall off and and give up you know multiple runs that inning but I think the manager saw that as an opportunity to say, let's get him out of here while he's pitching a two hit shutout and not let him get to the point of giving up the lead. And I get that philosophy. I understand that. Uh, I actually had um, multiple instances this year while pitching. I had one where my teammates encouraged me to go back out to face a team for the third time through. I had only given up one run and I ended up giving up seven more runs that next inning. So it was one of those, like it didn't work out that time, but then the exact same situation in the, the playoffs for us playing the exact same team. I was in there. I'd I'd seen them two times through the lineup and my teammates once again said, go for it, go out there and, uh, and shut them down. And I went two more innings without giving up a run. So baseball is such a weird sport that like, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. When it doesn't, people talk about it. When it works, it's just business as usual. And I have all the faith in the world that Snell probably could have gone another inning, maybe two, uh, with a strong pitching performance. But the Rays manager decided that at that point in time, it was best to take him out and rely on the bullpen. And that ended up costing them because the bullpen was gassed, especially Nick Anderson. And that really cost them the game. The Dodgers made it a bullpen game from the start and they won it anyway. You know, they went out there with Gonzalez who pitched like two innings and uh, the Dodgers just kind of went through all of their relief pitchers and somehow still won the game. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely something that I have opinion on and I'm glad you brought up the reasoning behind why the Rays manager made that decision. Cause there's always a reason that like, I think a lot of times overlooks, for example, when you look all the way back, I'm going to pull Super Bowl 49 when when the Seahawks did not run the ball. They passed and said <laughs> right at the goal line. It's easy to look back at it now and be like, oh, they should have ran the ball. But they, in general, didn't want to run the ball, not get in, and 
pretty much have the clock run out on them on the goal line. So they passed it thinking it's more likely that we either complete this pass or we incomplete this pass and lose less time than running it. And it's a similar situation here. I think, I think the risk, it, you at least let him start to face them a third time, in my opinion, because it's life or death. It's the last, if you guys lose, your season's over. And he did not even get that chance. And I can understand why he was visibly upset as he came off the mound and walked to the bowl, uh, not the bullpen, the, the dugout. I mean, I would be too. And so I get both sides, but I have to opt on the athlete side here. You, you got to get the risk, especially when it's game six. And I mean, again, it's easy to look back at. We just talked about how they were kind of getting the bullpen was kind of getting fatigued, but it's an interesting, interesting dynamic. And it's one that I can guarantee you they're regretting right now, just a few days after the world series. But I think there's a lot of good things that came out of the world series, the MLB season, but especially the world series. So let's take some time and go over those. Clayton Kershaw got his first ring. You've been hyping it up, excited for him. Tell me about that. Why is that such a big deal? And why does that make you, why have you been so, I guess, thrilled for him? Because I feel like you're definitely not a huge Dodgers fan at all. I feel like you lean, (laughs) I don't know if you hate the Dodgers. I know a lot of people do. I don't know if you fit in that case or if not, but why is that such a big point besides the fact that obviously he is a great pitcher and we love to see great players get their ring if they deserve it. I was present for, I think, Clayton Kershaw's lowest point of his career. Um, I was at the game where he gave up the late home run to Matt Adams at Bush Stadium that that basically lost his team that series. And I remember going to that game knowing it's Clayton Kershaw. He's, you know, he's a great pitcher. The Cardinals are going to have to squeak out a close game. And he pitched an absolute gem. And his team just relied on him his manager relied on him and and he made a mistake and gave it up and and that's when we started talking about Clayton Kershaw and his postseason struggles but it was cool to see Kershaw get redeemed this year his playoff career has not been phenomenal I think he was like 12 and 12 with a 4-5 ERA um, on his career going into this season and seeing him kind of get redeemed, he's a three-time Cy Young Award winner. He's a former MVP. Uh, he won the pitching triple crown. Like, he's a future Hall of Famer, one of the best we've ever seen. And, I, and I'm going to say this, and I'll, and I'll back it up. I am not a Clayton Kershaw fan, <laughs> but I wanted to see him succeed this time around. Um, I say I'm not a Clayton Kershaw fan because, you know, as a Cardinal fan, I have hated the Dodgers uh, for the most part. But they did something this last offseason that uh, that kind of made me feel like maybe I don't hate them as much. And that's when they went out and got Mookie Betts because it's impossible not to like that guy. He is one of the most fun players in baseball, might be working his way up to my you know, top three, if not better, um, like favorite player list. And so this year, you know, going into it, I knew the Dodgers were the best team and I just wanted them to to win it, get out of the way and we don't have to worry about them ever going back. <laughs> you know, you bring up Mookie Betts, and I'll talk about him for a second because he's the one reason I have any interest in baseball. It started with David Ortiz and then transitioned to Mookie Betts afterwards. And it was heartbreaking to see him leave Boston for me just because 
personally, as a fan of Mookie Betts and David Ortiz before, it made me kind of connect to those Boston teams. And really, I was talking about this ironically in my in my class this morning because we had we're actually recording our own podcast in that class, and we were reviewing someone who talked about the Cubs and Indians World Series on his podcast. And we we're just talking about baseball in general after the game, and like. Really, the Red Sox just took a massive L that trade, but I was so happy to see Mookie Betts get another World Series ring. I mean, I think you texted me this, but you're like, oh, he deserves one every year. And that's true. He's a great player, a great guy. It literally, I it broke my heart the other day when he's like, I really expected to be a Red Sox for life. And then they they traded him. And I just don't get why you trade one of your one of the best generational players in baseball in general. And, you know, going to the World Series, of course, I'm biased. I really don't know how it's going to work. But I really expected him to win World Series MVP, and he, he did not. So let's talk about the World Series MVP. Did the right player get it? Oh, were there other deserving players? Was it a close race? Was it not? What's your opinions on the World Series MVP race? So towards the end of Game 6, they opened up voting for the you know who was the world series mvp and my vote went to clayton kershaw and part of that was you know he went two and oh in the world series and just the storyline behind it i thought you know give give the pitcher give the you know one of the goats the, the the title but the the mvp award actually ended up going to Corey seager mm-hmm. uh the shortstop for the dodgers and he he deserved it and it was i can't remember if it was unanimous or almost unanimous uh MVP honors. He hit like 400, had a couple home runs. Um, he played really well through the entire series. And, and this is a guy who going into last off season, the Dodgers were considering trading him. They were looking to upgrade at shortstop over Seager and they were dangling him out as trade bait. And then he goes around and, and comes back wins NLCS MVP and then world series MVP. So I think that was a pretty cool story for him. And I think Dodger fans everywhere love the guy and, and probably condemn the team for even considering trading him. I, he obviously, he did play great. And I don't know Betts' stats, but like a point four average, two home runs, five, RB, five RBIs. Really, he just he played really well throughout the series from his stats. And I want to I give a big shout-out to the Dodgers in general. They played great all year and were, I guess, the most complete team in baseball, in my opinion, because I think the Yankees were probably better in hitting, but their pitching just wasn't there this year. I think that's the problem. That's what I've understood from my Yankees, friends fan, Yankees fans that are friends of mine and also just people who love the sport in general. And, of course, the Dodgers, for like what feels like the past eternity, have – lost to the team that ended up winning the World Series. Of course, losing to the Astros in the World Series a few years back when they were banging on trash cans and also losing on the Red Sox, who were at least cheating during the regular season, supposedly not cheating during the playoffs. Um, I have no comment on that. I'm just happy Mookie got a, got a <laughs> ring with Boston. And I, But looking back on it, I'm like, did they really, did they really say, all right, we cheated all regular season, and then we're like, we'll play fair now during the playoffs and did not drop off at all. Like, I, I, I'm hesitant on that. So I feel like the Dodgers kind of got screwed not once but twice. And the years between, I've lost to who ended up winning the World Series almost every year, it feels like, since, mm-hmm. it, since like the middle of 2010s when every other year it was the Giants that would win the World Series, and then the next year they would suck, and then they would win the World Series. 
But I big shout out to the Dodgers. But there's a one thing that kind of went wrong for the Dodgers during this World Series, and it did not affect their play. But oh boy, has it taken over the talk of the sports world and even people outside of the sports world. And that's Justin Turner. He got pulled during Game Six because he tested positive for the coronavirus. But then just hours later is seen on field celebrating with his team. And I believe I'm, I believe, yeah, I, I am looking at pictures where he has no mask on. He did say he had no symptoms, but you can still pass this virus without symptoms. Tell me about this. Who's to blame for this? What should come from this? Why did this happen? Like, and really, it's sad that this kind of, for a lot of people, I think has kind of been the storyline of the World Series because a lot of people, I feel like, were in the same boat as you and did not pay too much attention to baseball. But when they heard about this, everyone's like, oh, I got an opinion, and that's me included. Yeah, baseball had kind of, I mean, baseball, the Major League Baseball season was in a unique situation to kind of redeem itself to a younger generation that is not falling in love with the sport anymore and they had a chance you know with it being outside and and being able to you know space out and whatever they had a really good chance of being the sport that tackled the coronavirus in the best way and for the most part this year they flopped big time. I mean, you look at what the what happened with the Marlins and then with the Cardinals and you know there were multiple outbreaks and it just didn't seem like major league baseball was taking it very seriously um and i guess major league baseball has had a history of not taking serious things seriously hint hint astros um (laughs) but in this situation there is a lot of blame to be thrown around first i'm going to start with with turner here's the deal so like he tested um, so they were doing multiple tests and they were inside the bubble in texas they were you know staying together whatever he had a test come back inconclusive so obviously they had to test him again and then you know he played because that's what you do when you're a player you play and he got pulled and he made the conscious decision knowing that he was positive to ignore major league baseball protocols and go celebrate with his team i get it you want to celebrate with your team like you just won the world series that's a big deal but there are some things in life that are bigger than a sport and that's potential life or death. He doesn't know if he passed on that virus to somebody else who's going to go celebrate with their parent and then their parent's going to get sick. And like he, you know, who knows what the ramifications of that are going to be. So I think Turner really messed up in that he was being a little bit selfish in that situation to go celebrate. But also Major League Baseball messed up big time. First of all, if he had a, a test that was inconclusive, why would they let him play game six without a negative test? That was a big, big uh, mistake for Major League Baseball. They let him play, and then when they got the test back, they they went and pulled him mid-game and said, you can't do this. And then, for whatever reason, they allowed him to break protocol. Like, shouldn't there have been somebody in Major League Baseball that said, okay, we got to escort you out of this facility you've got to go quarantine in your hotel room or whatever no they let him go back out onto the field they let him break protocol to celebrate and then the whole time like he's celebrating with his teammates he's there in pictures he you know held the trophy like 
how did Major League Baseball not say, okay, you got to go? Like, you got you to gotta go right now. They had plenty of people out there who could have been like, let's get some handcuffs on this guy, for God's sake. Let's get him out of here. But so Major League Baseball messed up. Uh, Justin Turner messed up. And I assume what's going to happen is he's probably going to get fined. I would guess he's probably going to be suspended for part of the uh, the beginning of next season. But this was just an ugly, ugly situation for baseball. Yeah, it, it really was. And one thing that I think is an interesting factor, I don't think this will matter too much, but he is a free agent, I believe. And that, I depending on what the MLB does, could be affected a little bit. I don't expect the MLB is going to be like, hey, we're going to suspend you for 162 games or anything like that or anything anywhere near that. My guess is it'll be for a few games, but that is an interesting dynamic that I did not know about until just a few minutes ago. But I completely agree with literally everything you said. Justin Turner, I think, deserves some blame. I would, though, start off with the MLB deserves more blame because I completely agree. If someone does not have a negative test, you do not let them play. It does not matter if it's inconclusive or if it's positive. You obviously don't let them play. And the moment that he tests positive and they pull him, I'm keeping an MLB official with him no matter what because I guarantee you if it's me and my team wins the World Series, I'm going to want to go celebrate them with them and it's easy to say like oh baby i can handle myself because i'm i'm never gonna be on a team a professional team that wins a national championship or world series or nba finals or anything but like you gotta have someone there to support him and let him know like hey you really should not be doing that like we're not gonna (laughs) allow you to do that so i think i think i put more blame on the mlb here than i do him Because I understand, like, I would be so, like, it'd be such a fight in my heart. I'd want to be with my team celebrating this great accomplishment. And it's sad because just a week ago, I would have said the MLB really bounced back pretty darn well. They really struggled at the beginning of the season. But they pieced everything together. They got their shit together in general. And it worked out pretty well. And then you put this little asterisk on the last game. And sadly, this asterisk is the size of an atomic bomb because of how stupid so many people were with this situation. And I thought the MLB really found a great way for teams to go forward because sadly, it doesn't look like this virus is going to disappear anytime soon or be handled very well anytime soon. And so that likely we're seeing the NFL have to do something similar. I think basketball will do something very similar when they come back, whenever that is. But then they really fumbled the bag at the very end with this stupid, stupid situation that should never have occurred. It really should not have occurred because it's as simple as he did not test negative. He should not have been with the team. It's just, it's that simple to me. And again, it's not because I think he would have passed on to a teammate and got his teammate sick and his teammate would have died. It's that he passes it on to a teammate or he passes it on to his family and it gets to a, most likely an older generation. And that's where the problems really occur. And so it's easy to say, like, he messed up. And I believe he did. But I also want to say, like, I can understand where he's coming from. And I am shocked that. There was nobody, nobody there that could have personally been with him and really been a support system to make sure he did the right thing. 
So I guess I kind of covered what I just saw of the MLB season. I was kind of curious, what do you think? Did it end up going better than expected, worse than expected, especially after the outbreak at the beginning? Did the bubbles work? Did it not work? How did you feel about that, I guess? I think baseball had, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, they had a real chance to make this an exciting, fun season. Mm -hmm. And I think they totally flopped in that regard. Um, You know, European soccer, I I mentioned this, and I think it was the first (laughs) podcast that that you ever did, um, at least as cut to the chase. But uh, I talked about European soccer kind of doing it where teams are playing in their home stadiums. They're just not having fans, and it's all working out. And baseball tried it, and it didn't work out as well. But in the end, the end result, it worked out. I mean, the two teams that had major outbreaks still both made the playoffs, which – I, I still don't understand how that happened. Um, you look at the Marlins and the, the Cardinals. The Cardinals played like 11 doubleheaders down the stretch. They were playing so many games in so few days just to make up those games. And somehow they still found their way into the, the playoffs. But what I thought the story of the whole season in general was looking at the difference between a 162-game a, uh, season and this shortened Corona season. And people are going to be quick to, to call them the, the lost asterisk Dodgers World Series champions. But this season, I think, really showed that, you know, in a shortened season, young, talented teams will do well. And then in the normal long season, it's the experienced teams that, you know, have the longevity and can stay healthy. Those typically do well. We saw this season, the you know, the Rays were the best team in the AL with their young pitching and, and young hitting. Uh, the Oakland Athletics were young and really good. The uh, Chicago White Sox had one of the youngest, most talented, fun teams to watch. And then arguably the second best team in the National League was the, the Padres. And, you know, led by a, a young stud, Tatis, and... This season was really exciting for young players to be able to show that in a shortened season, it's not about experience. It's about talent. And those young players came to play. And we saw, you know, the young players with high averages were exciting. And I hope that carries over into next season when things are kind of normal-ish. And we see, you know, them take big strides and, and being able to do that for a longer stretch of games. I, I completely agree. You pretty much stole my wrap-up question right out of my mouth. You mentioned kind of these teams that I guess I was going to ask, are they the next generation of the great baseball teams? We've seen that with the Dodgers recent, recently, with the Astros recently. Of course, both those teams were in the playoffs, though the Astros sucked most of the year, went into the playoffs with a losing record, but still made it to the championship series. But are these teams like the Rays, the Athletics, the White Sox, I'm going to put in, the Padres, those teams, was this kind of a highlight, a season of transition where we saw, obviously, one of these teams that has been great for the past few years win the World Series, but we also saw teams be highlighted that are going to be dominating the MLB for the next five to ten years? I think, so baseball is really exciting in that Top draft picks don't always work out. Um, you can have a guy get drafted in the first round and they can never pitch or play every day as a major league player. But 
prospects in baseball are way different than than prospects in in other sports. And one thing I think that the the Rays did really well is they traded away good players for prospects that have worked out. Uh, Glass now was part of a trade with the with the uh, the Pirates, and they got him, and he has worked out phenomenally. You look at a Rosarina who came from the Cardinals, that has worked out pretty well. Um, the Padres have some young guys that were that were kind of pieced together. The White Sox got guys in trades like Eloy Jimenez and uh, players like that. And you mentioned it; it's kind of like a, a changing of the guard in baseball. Mm-hmm. These teams, and I'm going to I'll highlight the, the White Sox, Padres, and Rays, I think are three teams who are going to be really good moving forward. I don't know about the Oakland Athletics. Just I, they're, The organization itself doesn't leave me with a whole lot of, you know, I feel like they're going to be good because every time I think they're going to be good, they flop right after that and trade away all their good players. Um, but – I think we'll see the Rays, the Padres, and the White Sox all be really freaking good uh, for the next five to ten years, and it's because they built a core of young talent that isn't one-sided. And if they can hold on to that young talent and and you know lock them in long term, I think we can see those three teams kind of dominate baseball. And that's a really exciting time for for a younger generation of fans that that are kind of falling out of love with baseball, watching these teams could, could reinvigorate some love with the sport. I completely agree with that. I think your last point was the point I was just about to bring up, that you, you were talking about how the MLB kind of fumbled the bag with using this season to inspire the younger generation, which is leaning towards other sports to be intrigued by baseball. And I do agree, MLB, the MLB did not do the best job this season. But I will say that there are these young teams for them to latch on to, and it's easier to latch on to young players that you can grow up next to. Like, like I, I mean, I have with football and basketball and even baseball a little bit, not as much, but you remember the players of your generation when you're really going through, I would say, the years of like ages 11 through 17. And even obviously after, but that's where you truly find the sports you love. And so I think th- this is kind of a turning point where we're going to see some new great teams. And I think there's a possibility that some of these teams that were really good this year, like the athletics, they may not pan out. And there's also probably teams that are not panning out right now that will make a very quick surge and become one of these great teams. But I want to say, Kyle, thank you for coming on. You really inspired me to do this podcast. I told you you were going to have to do a lot of the talking. <laughs> you know baseball. You understand baseball a lot better than I do. And I guess this really shows it, – it, it shows a challenge for me over the next year to dedicate myself to work harder on a sport like baseball because I love sports in general. It's not that I dislike baseball. It's just – it's not that fun compared to other sports for me that I enjoy much more. But, of course, thank you for coming on. Um, I mean, you'll be back in, in a few weeks. I promise you that we would do the draft draft preview together. And the draft is sneaking up on us. So we'll, we'll, have, a few, we'll have a few basketball, I would say, basketball um, off-season podcasts coming up. I'm really enjoying college football season. And I'd just like to say I got a comment like, 
oh, I'm overhyping the Big Ten now that the Big Ten is back. And I was even before the Big Ten was back. We've had two weeks of Big Ten football, and both both times there's been a Big Ten game on primetime of ABC. So I think the hype is worth it. I'll, of course, be talking a lot in the upcoming weeks about the college football season, and especially the Big Ten, especially if Michigan's good. But thank you guys for listening. This has been Cuts of the Cheese.